Accessing library computer data. Level 9 authorization required. Command codes verified. Welcome to Moms Going Boldly, a Star Trek Discovery podcast. Moms Going Boldly is two moms who love Star Trek and who also happen to have children on the autism spectrum. We talk about the new Star Trek Discovery TV series, as well as any autism issues we see along the way. I am your host, Elizabeth, and with me is my co-host, Vicki. Hi, I'm Vicki. We are Moms Going Boldly. And welcome back. This is Moms Going Boldly. And today we're going to talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 12, There is a Tide. Now, I tried really hard to understand what this title referred to, and maybe I'm having dense moments, but I didn't get it. I did think about it because I knew you were going to try and figure out what it meant. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. The only thing I could think of was that tides are inevitable, and they're inexorable, right? They always happen. Tide goes in, tide goes out, tide goes in, tide goes out. So the only thing I could think of was that this was about how conflict with the Emerald Chain was inevitable, that the breach of the... Starfleet was inevitable, you know, something like that. That's what I was thinking. Or that, you know, history ebbs and flows. That's what I was thinking. It's almost like to everything there's a season. The tide comes in, this happens, the tide goes out, this happens. And so, like Osiris said somewhere along the way, they can't expect to be the empire that they are forever. Empires fall. So I think maybe that's what it meant when the tide comes in somebody's in charge when the tide goes out it changes yeah so i think that's it i think that's a good summary of what it what it meant so, so this episode begins where the last episode's uh, left off osira and the emerald chain had grabbed discovery they had taken discovery's crew prisoner and left saru culvert and unbeknownst to everyone else adira behind and Michael and Book were in Book's ship trying to get back to Discovery. And just as they arrived, Osira, who had somehow tethered the Viridian to Discovery, winked out of existence because they activated the spore drive and they were gone. So we arrive at Federation headquarters, you know, that wonderfully invisible sphere of mystery. Yeah. <laughs> and they may are making it look like the Viridian is attacking Discovery. And that's like the opening scene is Osiris telling the Viridian, tone it down or you're actually going to punch a hole in this ship. You got to make it look good, but don't actually damage the ship. Starfleet is perplexed because there is no communication and it's clearly Discovery is under attack. But why aren't they talking to us? And we can't seem to get any through to anyone. And then Book and Michael, I guess, come through some kind of subspace corridor to get there. Yeah, they called it the Courier's Corridor. Yeah. But it kind of reminded me of the Borg. Oh, what did they call it? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, the transwarp condor. Yes, that's what it kind of reminded me of. You know what it actually reminded me of? It reminded me of what they called underspace in that Voyager episode called Dragon's Teeth with the, oh, what were they called? Vaudoir. Remember that one? Underspace. Yeah, so Voyager, they get pulled into this corridor. That's full of debris, which is exactly what we saw here in this. The Courier's Corridor was Mm -hmm. full of debris, destroyed ships, because this is apparently very dangerous. So Voyager's pulled into this corridor that's full of debris, and then somebody comes along and says, this is our underspace, and they're going to blow them up. And they're just like, we just came in here accidentally. Can you just tow us out? And they're like, no, we're going to blow you up. So they get out of the underspace on their own above a planet that has been bombarded with nuclear 
ordinance and is in the middle of a nuclear winter and they settle on the planet's surface to try to avoid these ships and then discover all these species sleeping. Okay, yes. Yeah, the Vaudoir who yes. used to control the corridors. Yes. Anyway, it That's reminded right. me of that, the debris and all yeah. the stuff in there. So. Yeah, I totally forgot about that part of it. I remembered the people underground in, in yeah. stasis and all that, yeah. Back to the corridor. So they're risking their lives in this corridor because there's so much stuff that they have to avoid as they're going through this corridor. But it's a way to get around the fact that they don't have dilithium to warp wherever they're going and they don't have the spore drive because the spore drive left without them. So they arrive just as Starfleet's trying to decide whether to open up the shield for Discovery to come through because they still haven't heard from them. And what's really weird to me is that this whatever was jamming them from communicating with Starfleet was jamming Michael and Book too. Yes. And w- wouldn't Starfleet have said, "Okay, well, jam me once, shame on me. Jam me twice, shame on you." <laughs> right. I didn't understand that either. Right. They knew it was Book's ship, and they saw it coming, barreling out of whatever this corridor is. You know, I would have thought, "Okay, you know what? They're not talking to us either. How likely it is that everybody's communications out? I think this is a ruse." Right. And didn't Rin say this was something Osira had done before? Faked uh, her way in? Yes. Somebody but he, said that. But I think it was after the fact. My point, though, was, is wouldn't the Federation have known that? Or Starfleet have known that? I mean, if she's so dangerous, wouldn't they study all her tactics? They would, yes. I, I was like, well, why don't they know now when, you know, they couldn't communicate with Book's ship either? Right. Um, though I have to say, I did like them running the ship into discovery yeah. ramming speed like ben-hur yeah <laughs> they just barreled into the shuttle bay through the gap in the shield at the moment they took advantage of what they knew was going to be a gap in the shield and they barreled it i thought that was really cool meanwhile they've got all the bridge officers in like the lounge the bridge officer lounge and the rest of the crew they're actually going to shuttle over as a sign of good faith they're going to shuttle over the rest of the crew but hang on to the bridge crew i guess for leverage yeah and here's where it gets really interesting osira opens a channel with the admiral and calls herself ambassador she wants to essentially negotiate a treaty with the federation right i loved that twist yeah, she knows her limitations, apparently. She knows she's running out of dilithium. They're both in the same boat, so she knows she can't continue on the way she is. After all these episodes of her being this two-dimensional, as you put it, mustache-twirling uh, bad yeah. guy, all of a sudden she had depth. I-, I was just like, that was so cool. I loved that twist, where it wasn't just about, give us a spore drive and we're going to run the universe. She <laughs> needs to join forces because this is falling apart. Right. She knows they can't do it on their own anymore. I loved that. I thought that was really cool. So Burnham and Book are now aboard. Osiris crew know they've been boarded. So they're going to go down there and figure out what's going on. Book gives Michael some kind of device that shields her life signs and allows himself to be captured so that they think it's just him. Right. And so she can go through the ship and do whatever she needs to do to regain control of Discovery. So they take Book and they put him in with the rest of the officers who Osiris doesn't want harmed. Which, of course, gives them some leverage. Did it seem that Zara and Book knew each other? Because they were both couriers. Is Zara the really nasty guy yeah. who tried to kill Tilly? Yes. I, I thought that was pretty obvious. Which means we may see him again if he wasn't eliminated. I don't remember. I do. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. Okay. So- 
So the bridge crew, now that they know that they can't be harmed, they're going to start making plans. And they start using tapping out Morse code to drive their Emerald Chain captors bonkers because the Emerald Chain captors know they're talking to each other, but they aren't supposed to do them any harm and they don't know what they're saying. They faked uh, a fight to then turn around and take out their guards. And at this point, I made a note, Owo should be captain. (laughs) Yeah, because she knew just what to do. And because she did that, we all knew immediately that it was fake. Right. She would have never done that. Exactly. It's just like, you know, she is just the coolest. My love for Owo grows every time I get to see her. I hope we get to see her more in the next season. Because she's just really a cool character. So we've got the bridge crew escaping. We've got Burnham trying to go through the ship doing what she needs to do. And we've got Osira. She's released all the crew except for the uh, bridge officers. This is a good faith thing. And she's beamed over to have this conversation with the Admiral. And, and this is where we, you know, we learn the details of how she wants to function. She even has a proposed, I think what they called it an armistice agreement, as if they were two warring entities, like they had declared war on each other. Yeah. And I thought the Admiral and everything he did was really good in this episode. Yes. The way he handled her, the things he said made sense. It was true to the character. The interplay between them was phenomenal. And it was this episode where I was sitting there watching her going, man, she looks familiar. Do I know her? Do you? I was no longer focused on the Wicked Witch thing. I'm like, she looks so familiar. So finally, I went and looked it up. And Janet Kidder... And you probably already did this because this is your bailiwick. I'm always trying to figure out what the title means. You're always figuring out who, how you know these people. <laughs> <laughs> so Janet Kidder is Margot Kidder's niece. Oh, no. I See, I didn't know that because she doesn't look familiar to me. She didn't look familiar to you? Not at all. Oh. So Margot Kidder was the uh, actress. And she passed away in, I guess, 2018, I think it was. She was the actress who played across from Christopher Reeve in the Superman movies back in the 70s and 80s. Right. Fun, fun actress, fun character, very um, reflective of the 70s female perspective. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Yeah. Of what Hollywood thought females were like in the 70s. Yeah. But I always loved those Superman movies. I think I've seen them all once, but that was when they first came out. I don't think right. I've seen them again. So I could. And very... who's still with us? Gene Hackman is still with us, right? Uh, I think think so of course christopher reeve passed away and margot kidder has passed away and then oh who was his dopey sidekick famous actor who's jimmy olsen no 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 no. um gene hackman as lex luthor's oh dopey sidekick who's a very famous actor whose name i cannot remember but i can see his face i'm not sure if he's still alive either he was in deliverance oh that beady that's the one yeah Those are fun movies. But anyway, so Osira is played by Margot Kidder's niece. Janet Kidder is Margot Kidder's niece. And that's why I was uh, sitting there watching her talk and not just twirl her mustache. I was like, uh, that's when I recognized her. I could family resemblance. I could hear it in her voice. So anyway, they're having this conversation. Meanwhile, Burnham is on board and she has attacked somebody. She's trying to get to Stamets because Stamets is the key of controlling the spore drive. Right. Because of his uh, tardigrade DNA. And so she's trying to get to Stamets. And she comes across one of the Emerald Chain, and they get into a fight. And I think she just knocks him unconscious, because she's Starfleet, after all. I know. She knocked him unconscious. He starts to get up. She had a perfect shot to kick him in the head again. <laughs> My spouse said the exact and same what thing. Is she... Why didn't she kick him in the head? Right. <laughs> what does she do? She jumps on him so he can stab her. Yeah. So she gets stabbed pretty bad. Ugh. So now she's wounded. She's bleeding. 
No, my spouse said the exact same thing. <laughs> Why didn't she she kick him in the head? She had a perfect shot. Her foot was right there. Yeah. There was absolutely no reason to do that. Well, except she needed a wound. That was the reason, yes. Exactly. So meanwhile, it, it, there's a, another scientist who they have brought in to try to figure out how to, the spore drive functions. And his name is Aurelio. And he's in a wheelchair and he is devoted to Osira because right. she gave him a life and a family that he would not have otherwise gotten in a post-burn federation with his disability. Right. He is Osiris man through and through, but he's a scientist. And he's, you know, he doesn't believe all the things about all the violence that she's gotten involved in because she does so much and she's so supportive of, of science and sciences and him. And so when they get Stamets out of the ring of control, the crown of control that they put him under to activate the spore drive, you know, he's trying to communicate with Stamets scientist to scientist and Stamets is like, are you crazy? She's nuts. <laughs> so Stamets starts to work on him because he's clearly a compassionate, good person who doesn't understand the darkness that he's involved in. Kind of reminded me a little bit of like the scientists working for the Nazis, working on the, the rocket programs for the Nazis. Right. They wanted to focus on the science of building rockets as opposed to the politics of what the Nazis did. That's what he kind of reminded me of, of that sort of blinded science-ness. True, but just having Kenneth Mitchell come back in a wheelchair and giving that speech about how he wouldn't be here if it weren't for her, because the science in uh, in this time, there would help him. There was nothing that could help you know somebody with a disability. It was kind of emotional watching him say all that. So tell me about this actor because I don't actually know that much about him. Kenneth Mitchell. I first loved him in the old series Jericho. Okay, but he played. In the first season, he was the Klingon, Cole. Okay. Gosh, I didn't even know that. And then he played the timekeeper. Timekeeper. With the time crystals. Oh, yes, 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 yes. And he also played another Klingon. So wasn't the timekeeper, wasn't that um, Vok's son? Yes. Yes, so he played Vok's son. Right. Okay. And also, he has ALS. So, yes, I do recall hearing about this. Yeah. So they brought him back and accommodated his changing health condition. Yes. Number one, he's part of the Star Trek family and they love him. Number two, he's a great actor. He's I've always a great actor. I've loved yeah. him in everything I've seen him in. Well, and as a viewer, I would love to see more people with disabilities portrayed by people with the actual disabilities. Absolutely. Yeah. That's awesome. I'm glad you raised that because that was lost on me. I did not even connect that. Um, so thank you. Well, it's because I've always liked him. So I yeah. I recognize him. I know about him, you know, since the series Jericho. I loved that series and I loved him and everybody else in the series. But I'm going to have to go find that series and watch it because there's a bunch of other actors that I like that I, I think are in that show. Skeet Ulrich. He was the lead. It's only two seasons. Isn't it like another um, chock full of Canadians series? Um, I don't know. Gerald McCraney's in it. Um, oh, I can't remember any of the other ones, but you'd recognize them. The girl, oh, what's her name? She's deaf. Marley she, Matlin? No, no, no. She was on Supernatural, too. Um, oh, that one. No, I don't know. Shoshana something. I can't remember her last name. Did I just date myself with Marley Matlin? No, because she's on everything, too. She was just on The Magicians. So I just pulled it up. Skeet Ulrich, Ashley Scott, Lenny James, Kenneth Mitchell, Gerald McCraney, Pamela Reed, Alicia Coppola, mm-hmm. Brad Bayer, Richard Spate, Rob Stevenson, Claire Carey, Shoshana Stern. That's the one I was just trying to figure okay. out. Okay. Michael Gaston, Sprague Gaiden, Eric Knudsen, Darby Staunchfield, April Parker Jones, 
quite an extensive list here. It was a good show. And like I said, it's only two seasons. So it's not a big deal if you have to start watching it now. You only have two right. seasons to watch. Wow. It actually got canceled after the first season. <sighs> they the, got firefly is what you're saying. They did. But the people were able to get it back on the air. It was the last word that Skeet Ulrich says in season one is nuts. Like from the Battle of the Bulge. So people started sending nuts to the studio to protest them canceling it. In protest. Okay, all right, I get it. And it got so big that this guy created a whole business that you didn't have to buy your own nuts and bring them home and mail them. He was sending pallets. And so finally they gave up and they gave him a second season to finish the story. They needed to send more nuts. Well, I don't know if that's going to work twice, but the first time it worked. So they got a second season. Isn't that funny? Okay, cool. Well, we are having some fun with with trivia today. (laughs) We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Doug Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. Doug here from the 13th Warehouse. If you are a fan of Eureka, please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka at EurekaRewatch.com. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, please join Kim and Vicky over at the 13th Warehouse at the13thwarehouse.com. You can also listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit us on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse. And we're back. So uh, our bridge crew have escaped, and they are going to help take back the ship. Burnham gets into a, a, a Jeffrey's tube, and they discover that she's there, or they know she's there somehow, even though she's got the life science blocking thing. And they send somebody after her, and she ties herself to a pipe and decompresses the deck, which blows the bad person out into space. Right. And then her tie tears apart just, and the, the decompression cycle ends just before she's blown out into space. But she finally makes it into engineering, and she stuns. Aurelio mm-hmm. and puts Paul into a escape pod and he's just screaming right. about this because right. he wants to take the spore drive and go back to the nebula so he can go back get Adira, Culber, right. and Saru and she's like, nope, we can't do that we got to get you as far away from possible from the spore drive and I know I'm sacrificing their lives to do this and it's very clear he is never going to forgive her. She shoots him away in an escape pod. Right. That bothered the heck out of me. It bothered me too because I know she did the right thing. She needs to keep him away from Osira. Right. But she seems to make command decisions, the right command decisions, when she's not personally involved. And she does. Although she does have a personal relationship with Stamets, I just wonder if things would have gone the same way if Book was the one who was stuck on the planet, dying of radiation. Oh, that is such a great question. But though, when she went to rescue Book from the scavengers, it was all about the black box. Or at least that was the reason given. True, but she went to rescue Book. Yeah. What bothered me is that I agreed with her decision. I also completely and wholeheartedly understood Stamets' anger and frustration. What bothered me was that this breach may be irreparable. Yes. And that's what I was like, oh my God, you know, we don't usually see that kind of difficulty between main characters in Star Trek. The only time I can think of is in the movie, first, yeah, first contact, when Picard is going through his Ahab moment and he calls Worf a coward. And that's, of course, anathema to a Klingon to call him a coward. Um, that's the only thing I could think of where there is that kind of a breakdown in relationship amongst 
main characters. Can you think of any others? Not really, no. Not off the top of my head. You know, maybe DS9. But when those characters were at odds with each other, it was usually at the very beginning when they were still trying to figure each other out. So it wasn't really a break in a well-established friendship. I thought that was just very... I was like, oh my goodness. So she removes Stamets from the ship. And so that means that they can't jump anywhere. And the command crew is trying to figure out what they're going to do next. And they hear a noise. And all of a sudden they're surrounded by those cute little evil looking dots. (laughs) Are they like robots, but not? Aren't they the things that fix? Yeah. But so I guess they're robots. But anyway, so very cute. And they, uh, they discover that... When Osira was trying to take over Discovery and she found this data that she didn't know what to do with, which, of course, we all understand to be the, the right. sphere data, the sphere data escaped into the dots. And so that the dots are holding the sphere data and the sphere, the sphere data is going to help Enterprise, I mean, the Discovery crew take Discovery back. Right. And they gave the live long and prosper yeah, sign. Yeah, so cute. But in yes. keeping with the Wizard of Oz theme we have going, did you ever see the movie Twister? Yes. Remember the contraption they made? Yes. Was called Dorothy. Dorothy 1, yes. Dorothy 2. And then the rival group yeah. created the same thing, but they called them Dot 1, Dot 2, Dot 3. Yeah. So that kind Isn't of reminds me. Um, Carrie Elwes? Yes, yes. Yes. And, uh, That's a good movie, too. Helen Hunt and Bill Paxton. But, oh, Bill Paxton, who I miss terribly. Did you ever see the movie um, The Greatest Game Ever Played? I don't think so. Okay, you need to watch that. It's a golf movie, which you think, oh my gosh, a golf movie? Yeah. But it is. He directed it. It's brilliantly directed. It is a fantastic movie, and it makes a golf game look so exciting. It's a wonderful. It's a Shia LaBeouf. Oh, okay. The early, early Shia LaBeouf, and who else is in it? No one I can think of offhand who's really that famous. But it is. It's the story of an American amateur who won, uh, uh, you know, a very important golf tournament. Uh, against all odds you know it's just and it's beautifully done movie and the directing is astonishing and i always wished i could have told bill paxton that this was one of my favorite movies because of his directing you know it's just the music is good the whole thing so it's called the greatest game ever played if you get a chance yeah to watch I, have it, to, I highly recommend it i'll have to check that out but yeah. I just thought it was cute in yeah. keeping with the wizard the, of the oz Vulcan, yeah the vulcan salute and everything well yeah. no i, I, I the dots they're very adorable no, I just thought the dot part was keeping with the uh, Wizard of Oz theme we have going on. Yes. <laughs> so. Yes, absolutely. Okay, yes, yes. Surrender Dorothy. Surrender the dots. Yes. <laughs> if only she knew that the dots were almost as valuable as the spore drive. Right, right. Yeah. So then the, the last piece that we need to tie in here is what's going on with Osira and the Admiral. And... You know, this is actually going really well, all things considered. And they've got Eli there who is saying, you know, for the most part, she's telling the truth, except when the Admiral asked her who's going to be in charge. Right. And she said, oh, I might give a a scientist the role who is, you know, very balanced and, and folk forward thinking. And Admiral's like, and he wouldn't be proxy for you. Oh, no. And Eli's like, oh, she's totally lying. Yeah. So then we know that she's still intending to be a leader or the leader um, at the end of this armistice. And Admiral Vance is like, no, you have committed so many crimes. It's documented. You know, whether you're evil or not, you've behaved evilly. And so you can't be you can't be in charge in any way, shape or form. We need you to present yourself for arrest and trial 
And then I guarantee you this is going to go forward. And she goes full Wicked Witch of the West. Yeah. And she's like, nope, not going to happen. And she's be- out of there. And, and this reminded me of DS9. So apparently her people are not important enough for her to take responsibility for her previous actions. Right. And because even it's the, it's the control and power issue. Exactly. But even someone as hated as the female founder in DS9 was willing to take responsibility for her actions to save her people. On behalf of her people. Exactly. Yep. And Osira is a different breed, apparently. Yes. So she goes back to the ship where she's presented with the only two prisoners that they managed to hang on to because the rest of the uh, command crew escaped, Book and Rin. And for some reason, Aurelio, our scientist, was on the bridge at this point. I wasn't entirely sure why. Well, probably because they lost Stamets. I guess. So, So he apologized. She's like, no, no, you know, things happen. We'll get it sorted out. And then she goes into, again, her full Osira mode, which Aurelio has never seen. Right. She is so angry and she's going to kill Rin and Book begs for Rin's life and Aurelio begs for Rin's life. And she's like, yeah, right, whatever, and blows him away. Yeah. It's shocking. Book's face was just, couldn't believe it. You know, his friend. Right. Just disintegrated before his eyes. And Aurelio has now seen evidence of what Stamets had been trying to tell him before. About how she's not as good as you think she is. Right. I kind of wish we were able to keep Rin. Yes. He's a good character. Yeah. But I think his speech obviously had more impact because she killed him after he gave it. Yes. You know. But it had impact on her and it had impact on Aurelio. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, there were two audiences for that speech, and both of whom reacted in exactly the way you expected them to. And that was that. So we're left now with the command crew getting ready to take over the ship with the help of the dots. We have Stamets having been escape-potted off Discovery and safely retrieved by the Federation. And we've got Osira back on the bridge after vehemently rejecting the Admiral's statement that she needed to be held accountable for her crimes and so now the battle for discovery is set to occur now we did have another thing that i don't know if this is going to make a difference um next week or not but at one point michael sent a subspace message to her mom that's right telling her that the emerald chain had captured discovery that she was in a battle for her life she probably wasn't going to survive and she loved her right and i forgot about that from the first time i watched it and I don't remember. I remember a lot of next week's episode, but I don't remember if, if anything comes of that. I don't remember. Right. That. I don't know. I don't remember either. But my guess is yes, because she made it a May Day. Right. Which is a request for help. Right. And there's nothing like the Emerald Chain having taken over Discovery. That is a lost cause. I mean, that's totally a lost cause. Yeah. So that should bring her mom, the member of the Sisterhood of Lost Causes. Yeah. <laughs> But I don't remember either. I'm just guessing that she's going to come because that would make sense. Why else have that particular segment in the story if right. there isn't going to be a follow through next week? But who right. knows? So there we are. Um, that's the end of the episode. Of such. Did I miss anything? Anything I, else we need to? No, I don't think so. Pinpoint? Okay. What did you think of this episode? I liked it. I liked it much better than last week. I liked it too. Yeah. I thought it was a good episode. Very enjoyable. And so the next episode is the last episode of season three which is the part two of the first episode of season three so the first episode of season three was that hope is you part one and now we're going to see that hope is you part two not the hope that is you which is a much better time (laughs) (laughs) so uh unless there's anything else i think we can wrap this up no I, i think we covered everything fantastic all right well then we invite our listeners to join us next time 
When we talk about Star Trek Discovery Season 3, Episode 13, That Hope Is You, Part 2. For those who are uh, following along on a regular basis on this, we are, due to scheduling, we're going to be skipping a week. And so the next podcast in which we talk about That Hope Is You, Part 2, will be coming out in two weeks. All right. We'll see you in two weeks. See you soon. Bye. Okay. You can continue exploring the universe with Moms Going Boldly by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash momsgoingboldly and on Twitter at momsgoingboldly. The music used on Moms Going Boldly is Without Limits by Ross Bugden Music. On Twitter at Ross Bugden, licensed under a Creative Commons attribution license, creativecommons.org. You can listen to Moms Going Boldly on Podbean, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Player FM. And we're now also available on Apple Podcasts. Transfer complete.